0: We are continuing, working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. For the past few weeks, we've been examining what Jesus says about righteousness and how it relates to major activities in religion. So thus far, we have talked about giving and prayer. So that leaves us with today, fasting. So we're going to see how fasting into this discussion Jesus is having and we're gonna see how he kind of wraps this discussion up so could I have Lily come up and read our passage for us and when you fast don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites they distort their faces so people will know that they are fasting I assure you that they will have their reward when you fast brush your hair and wash your face then you won't look like you are fasting to people but only your father who is present in the secret place, but only your father who is present in the secret place, your father who sees in the secret will reward you. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourself in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, and where thieves won't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Perfect, thank you very much. Slide. Oh, oh, oh. Let's slide that the way, that way, there we go. All right, so talking about fasting. Now fasting is something that I feel like is in an interesting spot right now because I feel like it's lost a lot of luster in Christian circles. More people are fasting today than at any point in the past 50 years. But virtually none of this fasting is done for religious reasons. Most people that fast do so for personal health reasons. So I just pulled some screenshots off of some varying fasting apps. And I mean, look, look at just this one. You have that many people fasting at that point in time just using this one app. So a ton of people are fasting. But not a lot of it is kind of has, has this religious context to it. Intermediate fasting is a diet trend that has been going strong for the past five or six years. I know I did it for three years. But how do we balance fasting? Because there are, there are definitely some health benefits to fasting with the religious side of fasting. You know, I think we could do an entire seminar on the spiritual benefits of fasting. And we might someday, because I, I think that'd be a really cool thing for, do, for us to do. But for right now, I would just encourage you, if fasting is not something you do, to think about it, to give it a shot. And a, a lot of times we think of fasting as food. It can be other things, too. Because, you know, some people just physically can't fast on food, so there can be other things you can fast on. But it can be a great way to focus your attention on God, and it can be an amazing way to just open yourself up to hear the Holy Spirit in some amazing and powerful ways. So, but that... Us fasting is not the topic for today, so I'll pull back from that, but today we're talking about how to not be a hypocrite while we fast. So if you remember these creepy dudes, uh, from our discussion from last time, when Jesus talks about a hypocrite, he's talking about someone who is only going through the motions, doesn't fully buy in to what they're doing. Think of actors. That's... Tangibly what the word hypocrite meant at the time was just an actor. Someone who was looking to do something to gain approval through their actions. Now Jesus has repeated the same idea many, many times throughout this section he's talked about giving and prayer. He's repeating a lot of those same ideas today about fasting. There are some interesting things about fasting. That in the first century, the Jewish population was well known for its fasting prowess that we have several accounts from historians as well as Roman emperors who have commented on the Jewish practice of fasting and how several high-ranking Jewish members of their court talked about their fasting and displayed their fasting, even going so far as to publicly post their fasting schedules, which for most people was Mondays and Thursdays, by the way, there you go. That was the first century Jewish fasting schedule. So Jesus is relaying the idea that when you fast, it shouldn't be apparent to everyone that you're fasting. Because think about it. What, really, what, what relationship is there between me not eating and me taking a shower or putting on clean clothes? Those two shouldn't be mutually exclusive, right? Unless you're at some crazy long fast and you just physically can't muster the strength to to wash. And if that's the case, that's a whole other discussion we should be having. The only reason for presenting yourself in this way is to mark to other people that you're fasting. I know for me, when I was in school, I would have a test-taking shirt. I had a lucky shirt. Every time I had a test, I would put on the same shirt. When I took my ordination exam a little long ago, I put on my lucky test-taking shirt. It's the same one. And you put that on to kind of almost like a good luck charm to psych yourself out. So, But when people would see it, they would know. Oh, Jesse has a test today. Oh, I better check and see how it went or wish him good luck or something. This is a similar idea. The only reason for presenting yourself in this special way while you're fasting is to tip off to other people that you're fasting. And why do you want everyone to know you're fasting? so that they'll know just how holy you are, that they'll realize, oh, they're doing something extra special right now. They want to they want to think higher of me because they know all I'm fasting. I'll look better in their eyes if they all know I'm doing something for the Lord right now. Well, according to Jesus, if that's the reward they want, that's the reward they're going to get. I assure you, they have had their reward. But that's going to be it. And really, how much of a reward is this? Having people think you are holy, more righteous. What kind of benefits does that have? There definitely probably are benefits to that. Having people think highly of you does have advantages. It can help you get some things you want. But how much does this benefit you in God's eyes? How much does this garner in the view of God? Jesus has repeated this same idea for the past three sections now that this kind of righteous grandstanding will garner some reward. It'll garner something. These tangible rewards, you'll look better in the eyes of the people. But that's all you're really going to get. That will be your treasure. Which is why verse 19 hits so hard. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth. And when we think about this passage, I feel like we think about it entirely as tangible money, those kind of things. And that's 100% part of what it's talking about here. But I think its placement in this discussion is very interesting because this is coming right off Jesus' talking about these religious activities and presenting yourself as righteous and these rewards that he's saying, well, the hypocrites are going to get these rewards. So the treasure that Jesus is talking about here includes these kind of intangible but very real treasures you see on earth. The heightened appearance to people. The wanting people to think more of you, to think better of you. But again, how much are these opinions, these views that we're trying to garner worth in the eyes of God? Worth in heaven? Not not really much at all. And I think Jesus really hammers this point home in verse 21 here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, Jesus has been building up to this point to the hypocrite of the previous sections. The treasure is the reputation. The treasure is their appearance. The treasure is their perceived holiness. So that's where their heart is. That's where their intent is. This really reveals their intent. Their actions are not driven by an overflowing this outpouring of love that's been poured into them that just spills over. And so they they thankfully want to praise God. They thankfully want to give. They thankfully want to do all of this. No. Their actions are driven by a constant grasping desire to appear better than those around them. Meaning their heart is not aligned with God's heart. Meaning we got some big problems going on here. Just think about it, if your main aspirations, if your main goals, if what drives you doesn't line up with what drives someone else, what's their core being, how can you hope to develop a close, personal, loving relationship? If what motivates me, deep down inside at my core, is opposite of what motivates someone else, deep down at their core, how can we possibly work together let alone grow together in an intimate relationship. And that's what Jesus is warning us of. If we are not aligned with what God desires, if our desires are not aligned with that, we can go through the motions. But our heavenly rewards, they'll be empty. Because our heart is not where our treasure is. Our heart is where our treasure is. And so if our heart is not aligned with God's heart, then our treasure is somewhere else, and our actions dictate that. But I wanna touch on these next few verses here because I think they sum everything up really, really well. So this is starting in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. Therefore, if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, if then, the light in you is darkness, how terrible that darkness will be. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be loyal to one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth." So the eye and the body metaphor here is hitting on the same idea as we saw in verse 22, the treasure idea, the eyes, control much of what we do. They motivate us. So if this motivation is light, full of good motivations, then our actions will be seen as good in the eyes of God. If these motivations are not good, say selfish ambitions, personal gain, then those same actions will not be seen as good in the eyes of God. But it's verse 24 here where we really get where things really, really come home. Now this last verse here, or this last word here, wealth, is often just transliterated. It's the Aramaic word mammon. How many of you have heard that word before? Mammon? A couple, like some older translations will just bring it over. It generally carries with it the idea of treasures, money, possessions, that idea. But I wanna push that definition a little deeper because there's something really interesting about it. Get ready for a, a quick little word lesson here. So, this is the word mammon, there, there's a Hebrew there. This M on the front, in Semitic languages, and you add an M to the front of a word, it takes it from a verb to a thing, to, to a noun. So like in English, it's our uh, ER. So run is a verb, runner is a person, right? It's a noun. So, let's take off the M, G- get it back to its verb state. So, if you're a linguist and you notice, I'm on, that sounds weird, right? Well, it's because that last O changed, lengthened to an O when we added the M. So, if we take the M off, we have to shorten the vowel again. Anyone starting to recognize what this word might be? Say it, say it. it. Amen, Amen. you're right. And then we we don't need the double M's in, in English, so that's what we end up with. So the word we say all the time, amen, is the same root as mammon. So when we say amen, it, amen in its verbal state, means something like it is certain, it is firm, surely. So when you say amen, you're giving an agreement. You're saying, yes, I agree. I am certain of what you said. So let's take those two in tandem. The idea of kind of the tangible wealth of mammon with the idea of certainty something that is firm, something that is guaranteed. What do we get? We get something tangible, something that is certain, something that is guaranteed. So how does that play in with everything Jesus has been talking about here? How does that play in with, not this verse, but the verse that was just up on the screen? Is it saying we can't serve God and things that are certain? Well, let's go back to the reward of the hypocrites. What were they? They were immediate, right? Improved views in the eyes of the other people around them. They were tangible. That's something you could quasi-measure, right? They were certain. They were things they were gonna get right away. They're immediate rewards. They're something that could be counted on, a higher standing in the eyes of the people. They were things that benefited them right then and there. They were things that they could count on, that were going to happen now compare this to the treasures god offers heavenly treasures they're treasures we can't see right now they're treasures that are not tangible to us right now they're treasures that require faith faith to believe that these rewards that these treasures are coming the idea is getting that we cannot serve two masters. Meaning, we can't be motivated by our desire for the immediate, tangible, certain treasures of earth and also be in line with God's heart. With God's desire to love. And all those treasures that, that come as part of that. Those two cancel each other out. You just can't have your heart set on the certain things of this world, and be in line with God's heart. Now, our nat- this goes against kind of our natural desires, right? Our natural desire is to want the tangible, to want the immediate. So who wants to help me with an example? Someone over here? Yeah, yeah. Lily, Mason, anyone want to help me with an example? You want to? Okay, yeah. All right, so you have a choice. What would be a better choice, or what would you prefer to have $5 right now? I can give you this $5, or I can give you $20 a year from now. 20. You'd rather have 20 for a year from now? All right, how many people would take that same idea? You guys are kind of breaking the... The idea here, because most people, when they're asked this question, would take the $5 now. Right? No, no, it's fine, it's fine. Like, I, you'll get $20 a year from now. You, you want the $5 now. <laughs> that's the gamble. Like, that, That's the point of faith, is in a year from now, you would get $20. So most people, when they're asked that question, t- would take the $5, because they're like, I don't know what's going to happen a year from now. I'll, I'll take what's immediate in front of me. Apparently, you guys are all very, very money-wise and will take the $20 a year from now. <laughs> 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 so, The only way we can truly line up our hearts with God's heart is through faith. It's hard to not want to take that quick, certain guaranteed reward. And honestly, that's part of our sinful nature because of the fall is we've become short-sighted. We've lost sight of the larger eternal heavenly context. The enemy has us so focused on the here and now that we can't help but sometimes ignore or lose sight of the heavenly, of the eternal our lives here are just a drop in what will be our eternity. But the enemy has us so focused on this drop that we can lose sight of the entire ocean that's going to be our eternity. And that's what Jesus is highlighting here. This push and pull relationship. And our only hope to see through this. Our only hope to overcome this desire for the tangible, for the right now through Jesus. It's through this gift of grace. The sacrifice of Christ. That's how we can avoid our tendency for false righteousness. That's how we can avoid religious grandstanding, if you want to think about it that way. We have to put our trust in Jesus. And then those same actions will be motivated from a very different place.